Okay, so we're going to go ahead and, and start back. Um, for those of you who were not here last week, we began a study on the judgment day, on judgment day, the day that God is going to hold everybody accountable for the lives that they have lived. Um, and uh, we talked about how important judgment day was. So now that we've prayed and opened up our class together, let's go ahead and get into the text that we used last week for our base text. And then we'll get into our worksheet that I've passed out to you on the last judgment. So let's look at Matthew uh, chapter 26. And we're going to go, um, Matthew, I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 25 and verses 32 or 31 through 46. Matthew chapter 25, verse 31 through 46. And this is what it says. But when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all of the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him. And he will separate them from one another, as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep on his right, and he will put the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed in my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. Naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer to him and say, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? And when did we see you a stranger and invite you in or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? The king will answer and say to them, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you have done this to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. Then he will also say to those on the left, right, the little ones on the left are the goats, he's going to say to them, depart from me, accursed one, into the eternal fire which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they themselves will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not take care of you? Then he will answer them, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did not do it, to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. These will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. All right, so this is a picture of what's going to happen on Judgment Day. God is going to separate the sheep from the goats, and he's going to tell them why they are entering into the kingdom of God, and he is telling the goats why they're going to be cast into an eternal hell. All right, so on the Judgment Day, everything is going to be made clear. Now, I want you to turn back to Matthew chapter 7 because this is the other text that we used last week when we were together. Matthew chapter 7, okay, Matthew chapter 7 and verses 21 through 23. And this is what it says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. 
Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. All right, so just a quick review of what we talked about last week together before we get into the last two paragraphs of our worksheet today. Remember what we said, that the day judgment day is a day that God will be justified in all that he has done. All through history, uh, people have cried out and said, that's not fair, it's not right, this world is messed up, why is this happening to me, why are they doing this? You see, there's all kind of questions about injustice, right, and persecution, and we hear people crying out, wanting reparation for injustice. We hear that all the time. Well, the reality is, is the reason that there is injustice in the world, the reason why there's sin in the world, the reason why there is, is heartache and heartbreak and pain and suffering in the world is because man has turned his back on God and his goodness. And so God has turned us over to our wickedness. And we see it all around us. Well, on Judgment Day, God will judge the entire world. And Judgment Day is not going to be about me and you. It's going to be about God. On Judgment Day, the judge is going to be shown to be right and righteous. And what we also found out last week was is that two things are going to become very evident on Judgment Day. Number one, that God is just. What does it mean to say that God is just? What does that mean? Just like... He like he, he do the judging and he do the serving the justice. Okay, good. He's just. He does what is right all the time. God mm-hmm. has never done anything that is not right. He is good and he is just. And so on that day, right, he is going to show that he is just. Why? Because all of those goats, all of those who rejected him, all of those who lived a life in rebellion to God, he is justly going to cast them where? into hell. God on judgment day is going to show how just he is by accurately and rightly judging the difference between those who are his and those who reject him. You see? And so God's justice is going to be expressed on judgment day. Now, the beautiful thing is, is that not only is God a just God, but God is also a merciful God. What do I mean when I say that he is merciful? He's a forgiving God. That's exactly right. Now, here's the problem. If God were to forgive the murderer, just wipe it away and say, oh, it never happened, then God's not just. You see, if you murder someone, you've got to pay for it. Right? Yeah. If you, if you lie, you have to pay for it. If you steal, you have to pay for it. If you're an idolater, you have to pay for it. If God lets you slide then he's not just. The beautiful thing is is that God so loved murderers and liars and sinners and drunkards and thieves and and, uh, immoral people like me and you that he sent his son into this world and allowed his son to take the justice that we deserve. By dying on that cross, he took our wrath away. He took the wrath that we deserved away. So on Judgment Day, the sheep are going to be all of his forgiven ones. You see? All of the ones that Christ's blood was poured out to save. And the reason that they're not going to be cast into hell is not because they are good, but because God is merciful. Sunday, Pastor Terry was preaching, and he talked about Jesus on the cross and how he knew 
like he, he, he just like stare at his hand. He knew you. Yeah. He knew he was dying. He knew you, who you were. Right. And he was dying for you personally. He Good. Knew so that just really hit me because he did. Yep. Right. And and what's so beautiful about that guys is is that that happened two thousand years ago, and he knew you before you were you. Like he knew every sin that he you was ever going to commit. He was dying for each and every And one. yet he still loved you enough to die in your place. So on judgment day, the only reason that any person except for Jesus is going to be welcome into the kingdom of God is because God is merciful. And see, God is just. And if we all got what we justly deserve, we would all go to hell. But God is merciful, and he reached down into this world full of people that deserved hell and died to save them. You see? So on Judgment Day, God's justice and God's mercy is going to be on full display. And nobody that's being judged is going to be able to say, but why? See, you know, when, it's good that you put it that way because it always boggled my mind. Why would God love me? All the stuff that I did... Right. But it's God's mercy and justice that's going to be on right. display. It's if He can save this girl that did all that. Yep. Look how wonderful He is. So that that kind of helps. And God and God also is very clear to teach us in Scripture in the uh, in the Old Testament that's and in the New Testament. God declares, He says, "I will have mercy on who I will have mercy." Yeah. Right. I will have mercy on whom, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So out of all of the people in the entire world, God reached down into this world and saved a broken, busted man or woman like you. And on Judgment Day, you will not have any room to brag. You will not have no. any room to boast. No, because our, our life will be in front of us, right? Because when you see, as his sheep, when you see all of those goats being cast into hell, you're going to know in the depths of your heart that, but for the grace of God, there goes oh, I. Yeah. You see? And then when his mercy is shared... It's going to be that it's because God is a merciful God, and He's going to get all the praise and the glory for that. So, um, I want you to, we, we kind of touched on this at the very end of the lesson last week, and I want to make sure we get this clear today. I'm glad Michael's back with us again. Remember what it said? It says, Not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. It's going to be the one who does the will of my Father who enters heaven. All right, and so these people say, yeah, but we said, Lord, Lord, and we cast out demons in your name, and, and we perform miracles in your name, and what is he, he going to say? Depart from me, I never knew you. So see, there's an intimate knowledge between the Savior and his sheep. An intimate knowledge. A knowledge that is more intimate than a husband and wife and their relationship with one another. It's more intimate than that. The, the Bible calls Jesus the bridegroom and the believer his what? Bride, right? The Bible teaches us that he is the bridegroom and we are his bride. And, uh, and see, I know Michael and I know his bride. But I better not know Michael's bride the way that Michael knows his bride. <laughs> are you with me? There's an intimacy between you two that nobody else has a right to. Okay. Well, the same thing works with our intimacy with our Savior. There's a special intimacy there because why? Because he poured his blood out for you to save you. <coughs> and on that day when he says, depart from me, I never knew you, what's he saying? I never knew who you were. Depart from me. But these people that he's telling them to depart from him, they're going to be like, wait, Lord, Lord. 
didn't we do miracles and didn't we cast out demons and didn't we do all of these things in your name? And what is he going to say? Get away from me. I didn't know you. So they took his name and they wore it on the outside, but inside they weren't really his. And so in the passage that we've seen today, Jesus told, remember he told the sheep, he said, come in, enter into the kingdom not again for you. Because when I was sick, you came and, and took care of me. When I was hungry, you fed me. When I was in jail, you came and visited me. Remember, those are all things that we do as believers. We take care of the body. Remember what Jesus said. Uh, when I was sick and when I was in prison and when I was hungry and when I was thirsty. Well, the reality is, is you and I have not physically fed Jesus and, and taking care of him. He don't get sick. You know, he's in heaven now. But what it means is, is that we took care of his body. What do I mean by that to say we took care of his body? Who is the body of Christ? Jesus. People. People, all right. Jesus is the head, and we are the body. All right. What what is that called? The body of Christ. What do we call that? The sinners. No. What is the flock? Good, good. Or the The church. Oh no, the church. The church is the body of Christ. Okay. All right. The church is the body of Christ. Christ is the head. We are the body. Now think about this. What did they do to Jesus's physical body when he was here on the earth? They spit on it. They told. They showed him exactly what they think of God. Stabbed him in the side with spear. He is God in the flesh, and they said, "This is what we think of God." They nailed him to the cross. Well, if they did that to his physical body, what do you think they're going to do to his spiritual body? Same thing. You see. And so, why do Christians get persecuted? Why do Christians get looked over for job promotion? And why do Christians uh, get uh, picked on by the government? And why do Christians get looked down upon? Because the world still has the same attitude towards Christ as it did when He was walking the earth in physical flesh. And what Jesus is saying is, the body takes care of itself. You know. I cut my finger at work. I stick my thumb in my mouth and suck on it till I can go get a Band-Aid and put on it to stop it from bleeding. You see? My body hurts. The rest of my body is going to do something to try to take care of that hurt. And that's what we do for fellow believers, brothers and sisters in Christ. We take care of one another. And I want you to notice that in the passage we read there, those people that were doing all of those things, they didn't even realize they were doing it. What did they say? When did we feed you? When did we give you something to drink? When did... See, it wasn't even a, a conscious effort on their part. It was just what they do. And so when Jesus said, depart from me, I never knew you, the reason why those people are being cast into hell is because they're paying for their sins. The reason they are being cast into hell is because Jesus didn't pay for their sins. The reason they are being cast into hell is because they are goats. And goats do not become sheep. Sheep do not become goats. And you can't crossbreed them. You can't be a geep. Right? Or a shoat. You can't be that. You're either one or the other. All right? And so, um, Michael was here last week. Now, Michael's my Catholic friend here in the room. And, and I love him dearly as a brother. But he asked me, he said, well, then aren't we as Catholics right by saying that, yes, you're saved by grace, but you also got to work. And if you don't work, you won't be saved. Right, and I, and so we at the end of our class last week, we kind of got into a discussion about that. And what we learned last week, and I want to emphasize to you again, is this: you don't go to heaven because of your works. 
The reason you go to heaven is because of the work of Christ. All right, let me say that again. You don't go to heaven because of your works. You go to heaven because of his work. Can somebody expound on that for me? What do I mean by that? You don't go to heaven because of your works. You go to heaven because of Christ's work. It's by grace alone. Good. First Corinthians fifteen ten kind of speaks of the Paul's testimony where it says, "But by the grace of God, I am who I am." That's right. Called an apostle. At least of all, he was shown unto me as one born out of under time because, like all of us in the room, we're still sinners right now. Good. But His grace was in me, and I labored more abundantly than they all for His. So that it was work was not in vain. Good. And then it says, I preach and you believe, but it's like saying, like, I'm, I, as a sinner, you know what I'm saying? I can testify some of the guys in my group, you know what I'm saying? But by it's God's grace that's given me that ability to be Good. called and work through His work, you know what I'm saying? Good. It's not me. Exactly right. So in Ephesians 2, verse 1 through 10, what does it say? Or verse 8 through 10, for you are saved by grace, not through mm-hmm. works. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast, right? Yes, sir. We are, but then the verse ten says this: For we are created in Christ Jesus unto good works. Well, what that means is, if God saves you, you will work. If God saves you, He makes you a new creation. And what does the new creation want to do? Glorify their Father in heaven. You see, so we don't go to heaven because of our works. We go to heaven because of Jesus's work. But If you are going to heaven, you will work. One of the clearest indications that you are a child of God is the way you think, the way you talk, and the way you act. That is one of the truest indications of if you truly are a child of God or not. Are you with me? So, we don't go to heaven because of our works, but if I'm going to heaven, I will work. Does that, that make very good sense? So look back at that passage again. What did he say? Not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord. So there's actually a lot of people going around working, giving millions of dollars to the church that are dying and going to hell. Why? Because they're depending on their money that they're giving to the church. They're depending on their preaching. They're depending on the fact that they're at Sunday school every week. Those are the things that they are dependent they're on depending to get them on to their heaven. Own Good. Those are the things that they are dependent on to get themselves to heaven. And the only thing that we're supposed to depend on to get us to heaven is what? What Christ has done for us on the cross. And so we have to understand that on judgment day, it's all going to become clear. There will be lots of people there that we're going to go, wow, I thought that dude was a Christian. And he's going to be burning in hell. And then we're going to see a lot of people come forward and we're going to go, oh, he's going to hell for sure. And what is Jesus going to say? Welcome into my kingdom. You see, there's a lot of people that don't look like you and talk like you and act like you. That don't have the same language that you do. That don't have the same skin color as you do. That don't come from the same culture that you do. That praise and worship in a way a little different than the way you do. And they're his children. And they're going to go into the kingdom. And so on judgment day, all of that is going to be made clear. Yes. What about the Jewish people, God's chosen people? That's a great question. What about the Jewish people? Will Abraham be there? Yep. What about Isaac? Yep. What about Jacob? Yep. What about the people before they were Jewish people? What about Adam and Seth and Noah? Hmm. Those guys were there before they were Jews. What about the Muslim people? Well, what about them? 
Jesus says that there is only one way to heaven, and it's through who? Christ. Christ Jesus. So all of the people, no matter Jew or Gentile, it's those who believe. It's those that he died to save who will enter the kingdom. And it says right here, right by where we read, many will come from the east and the west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, yep. and in the kingdom of heaven. Well, the sons of the kingdom, which is the Jews, right. will be thrown into the outer darkness. Right. Um, and so the best, uh, let, let's answer that question from Michael. Michael said, well, what about the Jews? They're God's chosen people. Flip with me really, right? Flip with, flip with me really quickly over to the book of Romans. Let's go to the book of Romans really quick and let's look at something. Let me see if I can find it off the top of my head. Yeah. I think two. Let me let me get there and see. Yep. Romans chapter two. Verse 28 and 29. Romans chapter 2, verse 28 and 29. Watch what it says. Everybody there? No. Romans 2, Romans 2, verse 28 and 29. This is the Apostle Paul writing, and this is what he says. For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and the circumcision is that which takes place of the heart by the Spirit. Notice the word Spirit's capital. The Spirit, not by the letter, and his praise is not from men, but of God. So we're considered Jews when we're saved by Christ? Yes. So watch. For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is he circumcision that is which is outward in the flesh. Who are the outward fleshly Jews? All of Abraham's kids. Ishmael's kids, that's the Muslims, right? Ishmael's kids. I don't have a clue. Yeah, yeah, I'm telling you. They're, they're, <laughs> the, Muslim, the Muslims are Abraham's kids too. Find out, the Muslims are Abraham's kids too. They're Ishmael's kids. Okay. Abraham had two sons, Ishmael Here's and what Isaac. I asked you about, right? Yeah, yeah. Ishmael and Isaac were his two sons. Both of them are sons of Abraham. But the Jewish people are the ones of the children of promise, of Isaac and of Jacob, all right? So they are the children of promise. And so to become a Jew, what had to happen to a male is on the eighth day after their birth, they had to be circumcised in their flesh. They had to go and have a procedure done. And they cut it off, you see? And that made them a Jew outwardly. Why did they, do, why did they cut it off? You have to go read Genesis. They didn't cut the whole thing off. They just cut the tip off. I remember when my boys were born, they made me wait eight days to go back. It's a sign sign that you are Abraham's kid, that you are a child of faith. But the problem is there's a lot of people running around that were circumcised that didn't believe in God. Saul, Judas, are you with me? There's a lot of Jewish people that were circumcised on the eighth day, but in their heart they were not true sons of Abraham. They were physically sons of Abraham, but they didn't have the faith of Abraham. Does that make sense to us? Okay. Um, I don't want to sound like a dummy, but I just got confused when you said that. Okay. Okay. You said that they were outwardly Jews. That physically, in their genetics, if you sent them to Ancestry.com, their genetics would come back and say that they're They're Jewish. Jewish. Okay. All right. Okay, so they're Jews. But they just did not accept Christ. Christ. They did not believe in the promise. 
Okay. All right? If you go back to the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 12 and Genesis chapter 15, you will find that God made a promise to Abraham that his of his descendants all over the world would be blessed. Mm-hmm. Of his descendants. Well, Jesus is one of his descendants. Right. Jesus is Abraham's great-grandson, right? So God made a promise to Abraham way back then before Abraham was circumcised. Before he was circumcised. And what it says is Abraham believed God... And it was credited to him for righteousness. But wasn't there a period where he did, and that's why Ishmael was born? He, where he didn't trust? No, no, no. Well, he did believe God, but he still, just like me and you, we believe God, and then we still try to take things in our own hands and okay. do it our way. Mm-hmm. We still try to force God's hand and get him to do what we want him to do. Mm-hmm. So Abraham was a believer. And the moment that he was saved, Paul makes this clear in Romans chapter 4, the moment that Abraham was saved was the moment that God made him a promise that through him, all of the world would be blessed. Abraham believed that, and God credited it to Abraham for righteousness. Okay? Abraham is now a child of God because of his faith. And what is his faith then? The promise of God. Then God gave him the symbol of circumcision as a way, as a way to separate the people of God, the chosen people, of God from the rest of the pagans around them. The Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites. Y'all remember all those guys? The Philistines. Remember when David was about to fight Goliath? He said, who is this uncircumcised fool that's out here talking about my God? You see? Like he called him an uncircumcised fool. David was a circumcised Jew. And David was of the faith. And David was calling this man uncircumcised. What was he saying? He's a pagan. He's not God's people. He's not the chosen ones. David was seeing himself as different than that Philistine because the Philistine was a pagan and an unbeliever. And how do we know he was an unbeliever? Because he wasn't circumcised. Okay? But the problem with the circumcision is is that circumcision is a fleshly thing. You cut the flesh. And what Paul is trying to tell us here, look at it again, verse 28, For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is he circumcised, nor is the circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. So what that means is I can go to Ancestry.com and find out that I'm from the tribe of Judah or the tribe of Benjamin and that I'm Abraham's great-grandson. And he's saying that don't make me a true Jew. He said I could be on the eighth day be circumcised. And that does not make me a true Jew. That makes me a physical Jew. And Ancestry.com will back that up because in my genetics I got Abraham's blood in me. Right? But he said, that does not make you a true child of God. So look what it says next in verse 29. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly. And the circumcision is that which is of the heart by the Spirit. Y'all see that? That capital S? What does that capital S mean? The Holy Spirit. What it means is the Holy Spirit has come and done a work in your heart. He's cut away the dead flesh and given you a new heart. Alright, so Abraham would cut away the dead flesh... And all that did was physically alter that kid. Are you with me? What truly makes you a child of God is when the Holy Spirit comes in and cuts away the deadness of your heart and gives you a new heart. And that's what Paul's trying to explain to us here. So let's go back to it and read it again. Now, I don't want to put words into the Scripture, but think about it. Let's put it this way. Let's let's replace the word Jew with Christian and replace the word circumcision with baptism and see how it would read. For he is not a Christian who is one outwardly, nor is that baptism which is outward in the flesh. 
but he is a Christian who is one inwardly, and the baptism is that which is of the heart. By the Spirit, not by the letter, and his praise is not of men, but of God. See, I'm praising men, right? I'm a particular Baptist. Do you see that? Right? That's that's a denomination of church, right? But the real reason that I'm a child of God is not because I'm a particular Baptist. The real reason that I'm a child of God is because God had mercy on a filthy, wicked man like me and reached down into this world in his grace and his spirit, ripped that old heart out of me and gave me a new heart and filled me with his spirit. That's what makes me a child of God, you see? And so what Paul is saying here is just because you run around telling everybody you're a Christian or a believer on the outside, it's what's in the inside that really matters. And so on judgment day, that's going to become apparent. God is going to clearly judge between the sheep and the goats. God's going to clearly judge between those who are his and those who are not. And there's going to be no arguments. You don't argue against the judge. You see? So, um, really quickly, let's get in our worksheet. I want to finish this this week because we really need to get back more into the life of Christ next week. But look at um, verse 1 there, uh, uh, paragraph 1 of our, our worksheet there. It's, uh, yeah, Judgment Day. It says... God has appointed a day when He will judge the world in righteousness by Jesus Christ. Jesus is given all power and judgment by the Father. And on this day, not only will the apostate angels be judged, but all people who have ever lived on the earth will appear before the judgment seat of Christ to give an account of their thoughts, words, and deeds. They will receive according to what they have done in the body, whether good or evil. I do want to go flip with me really quickly to 2 Corinthians 5.10. We got to see that verse before we get to paragraph 2. For those of y'all who wasn't here last week, we went through paragraph 1 in detail last week. So I want to try for the last 15 minutes of the class to do paragraph 2 and 3. But I do want to show you this. In um, 2 Corinthians, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10. This again is the Apostle Paul. Right? This is the Apostle Paul. And what does he say? Now remember, Paul was an apostle to who? Peter was an apostle to the Jews. Paul was the apostle Gentiles. to the Gentiles. All right? yeah. So who is Paul preaching to here and writing a letter to at the church of Corinth? Gentiles. Gentiles. He's not talking about the Jewish folks. He's talking about Gentiles. Look what it says. In verse 10, for we, who is we? That's Paul and everybody he's talking to. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or evil. So not only is God going to separate the sheep from the goats on judgment day, but he is also going to reveal to us everything that we've ever done. You see? And and later on, Paul will tell you that your works are going to be judged by the fire of God. And if your works were pure gold works, then they'll stand in that judgment. But he says some of the things that we do are way, uh, hay, uh, wood, and stubble. What does that mean, hay, wood, and stubble? It burns. That's all the stuff that burns up. So on judgment day, you're going to be revealed who you really were. And the only thing that's going to stand after that judgment is the things that you did in Christ. See? And now remember, the people that, that were standing there talking to him, a lot of the things that they've done that they're going to be rewarded for, they didn't even know they were doing them. And a lot of the people that got judged and cast into hell thought they were doing things for God. They were like, wait, wait, didn't we do this and didn't we do that and didn't we do that? And what's going to happen on that judgment? 
All of those things are going to be exposed, and people are going to real. We're going to realize that a lot of the things that we do are self righteousness and self will and self. Yes. It's doing for me. I'm not doing it for God's glory. I'm doing it for my glory, and we're all guilty of that. Well, on Judgment Day, all of that's going to be exposed. Right. Now that can be. That should be terrifying to us, shouldn't it? It is. The only thing that the sheep has going for him is that he has a, an advocate in Christ Jesus. What, and what did you say last week, Xavier, that an advocate is? An advocate is somebody who represents you. Somebody who represents you, a lawyer. The lawyer is somebody. And, right, and so Jesus is going to be standing there and saying, yeah, he did this, but he's mine, and I your, paid for that. You your see? mother or father could be an advocate. Yeah, but the only one that you want to be an advocate for you when you stand before the Father on Judgment yes. Day is his son, Christ Jesus. Okay. All right? We have an advocate in Christ Jesus. All right, so um, in that first paragraph, a couple of things, and then we get these last two paragraphs. Number one, God is the judge. Jesus is the judge. Jesus is the one that's given to the authority to judge. Number two, it is God who is going to be glorified on Judgment Day. And number three, all of us will stand on Judgment Day. All of us will have to come before the judge. Okay, that was kind of what that first paragraph uh, was making clear to us. Now let's look at the second paragraph. The purpose for God appointing this day of judgment is to display the glory of His mercy and the eternal salvation of the elect, and to display the glory of His justice and the eternal de- uh, damnation of the rec- reprobate who are wicked and disobedient. All right. Now we've already talked about that at one time, right? What is it saying? On Judgment Day, both God's mercy and God's justice will be on full display. Both God's mercy and God's justice will be on full display. So on Judgment Day, He's still going to forgive, even though that you wasn't supposed to be forgiven. Well, on Judgment Day, it's going to become apparent that you had been forgiven by what Christ did on the cross for you. See, Christ purchased your forgiveness on Calvary. On Judgment Day, it's going to be shown how forgiving He is of you. Does that help answer your question? Yeah. Yeah. So people are going to be forgiven, but still going to hell? No. No. Okay. No. The only way that we have forgiveness, the only way—that's a great question you're asking. The only way that we have forgiveness. It's through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Uh If Jesus shed his blood to save you, how many of your sins did he pay for? Oh, That's exactly right. Well, why would someone go to hell? Because Jesus did not pay for their sins and they have to pay for them themselves. Make sense? Okay. Now, look at uh, that second statement there. On this day, the righteous will enter into everlasting life and receive fullness of joy and glory with everlasting rewards in the presence of the Lord. But the wicked who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of Jesus Christ will be thrown into everlasting torments and punished with everlasting destruction. They will be separated from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power. All right. So what happens on Judgment Day? Both God's mercy and God's justice are going to be on display. And those who receive mercy are going to what? They're going to enter into the eternal kingdom, and they're also going to be rewarded. They're going to be rewarded, all right? <clears throat> so our rewards will be based on what we did in our, in our bodies, right? The life that we live here on earth. Um, 
And then the people that are going to be cast into hell are going to be cast into hell. Why? Because it says that they are going to receive, uh, uh, they're going to receive the wicked who do not know God and do not obey the gospel will be thrown into a everlasting torment. Well, why are they being thrown into an everlasting torment? Because they refuse to turn from their wickedness and turn to God's goodness. They refuse to turn from their works and turn to Christ's works. What do I mean by that? When Jesus died on the cross, he paid for all of my sins from yesterday, all of my sins from today, and all of my sins that I will commit tomorrow. How many times did Jesus die on the cross? Once. Once. All right? And so what that means is, that means that Christ paid for all of my sins through that one death. How many of my sins are now covered? All of them. Okay? And so... The reason that someone goes to hell is because they would rather trust in what they have done, what they are doing, and what they will do instead of turning away from themselves and turning to Christ. What do I mean by that? Right? They, they refuse to turn from what they have done, what they are doing, and what they will do. Who are they dependent on? Is that what they're saying here in, in 12 and 13? It's a little confusing. Right past where you was reading. For... If we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. Yeah. If we're in our right mind, aren't we? Yeah, what he's saying is is that the, the preaching of the gospel and the beauty of the gospel message and and the, the, the proclamation of the gospel that when the true uh, people that go and proclaim that gospel preach to the world, it sounds like they're crazy. It sounds like they're out of their mind. Why? Because the natural man does not receive the things of God. We are beside ourselves. It is for God. If we are of sound mind, it is for you. All right. So it, to some people, it would appear apparent that they had lost their mind. But by we what understand. Yeah, okay. yeah. Yeah. So <clears throat> again, why are they going to hell? Because they would rather trust in what they have done, what they are doing, or what they will do. Well, because they're believing in their own ability and not That's Christ. That's good. All right. Mm-hmm. So if someone is depending on their baptism. To get them to heaven, who are they dependent on? Themselves. Themselves. And that would be the same thing that the Jews had a problem with. What were the Jews dependent on to get them to heaven? Abraham's righteousness. Yeah, they were. <laughs> yeah, they were dependent on. They were dependent upon the fact that they were Abraham's kids, that they were circumcised in the flesh. So they were dependent on their phys, on their own physicality. And that was what Paul was warning about in Romans. You're not a Jew because you're one on the outside. You're a Jew because you're one on the inside. You're not a Christian because of the outside. You're not a Christian because you are faithful going to church every week. You're a Christian because God has changed your heart and saved you and forgiven you and in His grace has adopted you in His family and made you His eternal child. And you can see that. I um, I was worried at first when I first started going to church. Of course, I was faithful doing it, but I wanted to be certain about things. I wanted to be certain of my salvation. And people can see me doing different things. I was out there running the streets and everything. I've changed. And it's not as easy for me to see as it is for other folks to see. Sure. But I've changed, and Christ did that for me. I could not have done that. So that's evidence. I've changed. So what Lori is discussing is her sanctification, which means that once God reaches in and cuts away the deadness of your heart and gives you a new heart, if he truly saved you and gave you a new heart, it's going to become evident in your right. life. How is it going to become worried. evident? Your thoughts, your words, and your actions oh, are going to change. Your whole attitude is yep. going to change. Now, but Xavier, what we, but what we need to remember is this. 
God's justification, that one-time act of changing me and forgiving me and saving me and putting a new heart within me, that's a one-time thing. But sanctification is a lifelong process. What does that mean? (laughs) It's going to take the rest of Lori's life for God to conform her to the image of his son, Christ Jesus. And it's not going to be pretty either. She's going to fall. And and, and not only that, but what do we do? We try to depend upon ourselves. So we study extra hard or we go to more church services. We try to do all of these things to make ourselves more Christian. And the reality is it's not my works that save me. It's not my works that even make me Christ-like. It's Christ working in me that makes right. me Christ-like. And, and the devil put doubts in your mind. Sure, okay. sure. And so what we need to do is well, we... The devil we, don't want to see you happy. Excuse me for cutting yeah, you off. He don't want you enjoying the yeah, gift that God yeah. has given. Good. All right. So it says... Um, and the last thing, the last paragraph says, nobody knows the day of judgment. Nobody. 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 All right. Christ wants us to be confidently persuaded that there will be a day of judgment, both to deter people from sin and to comfort the godly in their adversity. All right. It says to accomplish this, he keeps the day secret to help them rid of fleshly security and to be constantly watchful since they do not know what hour the Lord will come. Thus, they can constantly be prepared to say, come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Amen. All right. Now, so what does he say in there in that first statement? He says this, Christ wants us to be confidently persuaded that there's a day of judgment. Now, if you have been... Uh, put in jail on charges of uh, bank robbery and murder, all right, are you going to be able to confidently go before the judge? No. No, you are not at all looking forward to going before the judge because what's he going to do? He's going to sentence you to life in prison Mm -hmm. or a death sentence. You see what I'm saying? So the person who is under conviction, the person who has the law beaten down on top of them, they are not confident of their judgment day. Why? Because they know they're guilty. But this says that Christ wants us to be confidently persuaded there is a day of judgment to deter people from sin, right? Uh, The law is actually good at keeping most people from being as bad as they could be. At least I don't do as much as I would do if there wasn't a law there. You see what I'm saying? So the law does have the ability to deter sin, not to stop it, and not to give me the desire not to sin, but it does help to deter sin. In the same way, the coming judgment is a deterrent. I can tell you right now that there's a lot of pagan people out on social media right now that are watching all of these different these fires and earthquakes and the world falling apart around, and they know something's up. They might not want to admit what it is, but they know that this world is shaking to its core. It, it's shaking. And it's knowing that there's something coming. We just know that there's something coming. Well, the Christian can confidently say, Come on, Lord. Come on. Why? Because he knows that his sins have been covered in Christ. And he knows that after that judgment day, that he's going to inherit his eternal kingdom, the promise of paradise that this world can never give him. And so those who are rejecting Christ that are in the world around us looking around going, Oh, no, what's going to happen next? Where the believer can confidently rest in the fact that God is good and that he's in God's hands and that whatever happens, God's going to win and we win with him in the end. You see? So that judgment day has been given to us not only to persuade people from sin, but to comfort the godly in their adversity. I don't know if y'all notice this or not, but as you get older, life is not as fun as it used to be. I get out the bed and my back hurts. 
my hands now. The other night I was at a, the other night I was at a uh, worship service that I was and I was doing the praise music for him, and I was playing my guitar, and both of my hands went numb because I was pinching a nerve by sitting on a bar stool on my back, and I could I was literally afraid I was fixing to drop the pick because all five, all ten of my fingers were numb. I couldn't feel them. Well, when I was 12 or 14 years old, I could fall off a roof and land on my head and get up and run off and be fine. Well, now every little thing, if I just sleep wrong on my pillow, the next day my back hurts, you see? And so what happens, as you get older, your mind don't work as good as it could. You can't do the kind of work that you used to do. You're not as productive. And uh, the world passes, it feels like the world is passing you by, right? Like there's a lot of things that you used to do that you can't do anymore. And as you get older, that's going to become more evident. And you know what happens in the grace of God for those who... Uh, Michael's dad, you, you just lost your father. He's 93, right? Yeah. Well, I guarantee you that your dad had more people on the other side that he's looking forward to seeing than people on this side that he sees. Well, I never thought true. about that. You see what I mean? And so all of the mom. sickness and all of the pain and all of the hurt for the world, it forces them to grit their teeth and... Fight and scream at God, why are you letting this happen to me? But to the true believer, there is comfort in that adversity. Knowing that this is only going to last just a little bit longer. And then I'm getting a new body that don't hurt no more. That lasts forever. And I get to be with my Savior who saved me. And I get to be with all my family and loved ones forever. Right? And so what happens is, for the believer, Judgment Day should make us aware that we need to be confident thinking about what we say and do and act but it's also a day that we can look forward to why because we have christ as an advocate that's going to stand before the father force and answer for our lives and that gives us hope does that make sense okay now he said we got to finish because we one now uh it says to comfort the godly in their adversity now to accomplish this he keeps that day secret to help them be rid of fleshly securities and constantly be watchful since they don't know the hour when it's coming Alright, so for the believer, right, what does he, what does he want? He wants us to stop depending on ourselves and depend on him more and more, so he keeps that day quiet. And, and what about the wicked person? Why would God want to keep it secret from the wicked person? Surprise! Yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> well, Jesus actually says that. He said, he said, Surprise. you know, if, if the, if the robber, if the robber knew what time the man was coming home, from work, he wouldn't rob the man's house. That's right. Or he would wait until the time when the man wasn't there to go in. And so Jesus is going to come like a thief. Why? Because he wants to catch um, people slipping. He wants to catch the believers hoping, and he wants to catch wicked. the wicked <laughs> trying to get by with something. One more little thing. Being slipped. But being slain. That's exactly right. And so it's going to come like the. Let's look at that last verse. Let's, Can you imagine doing something um, quick standing up and looking behind We got Jesus. two minutes left. Let's turn with me to Revelation 22 20. Revelation 22 20. If you're not familiar with that. Um, yes, I am. Pastor Shaw's talking about Revelation. Why do you want to scare me on a Tuesday afternoon? Revelation 22 20. Yeah, if you're not sure where it is, it's the last verses in the Bible. Very end. Look what it says. This is John. John has just written something known as the Revelation of Jesus Christ, and the whole theme of the book of Revelations is not. Uh, right. The, the whole theme behind the book of Revelation is it's the revelation of Jesus Christ. 
And it's the revealing of the fact that he is God and that all through history he wins. And on the last day he wins. That's what the the revelation is, who Christ is. And look what it says. Really important too. Yeah. Uh, it says, uh, he who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming quickly. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. Amen. So what does John say? John has just wrote a book where he said that literally that the whole world is going to be destroyed and Christ is going to be revealed as the conqueror and the one who has saved, the good shepherd who has saved his sheep. Like that's the end of the story. That the good shepherd saves his sheep. Not a single one of his sheep is going to be lost. And that we are all going to inherit the eternal kingdom of God prepared for us. And that all through history and everything that's been taking place in this world from the time of Adam until that day is all going to be in God's hands and nothing is caught by God by surprise and that God has never been caught off guard and that everything is working out the way that God had planned it to. And so what does John proclaim at the very end of the book? Come quickly, Lord. Why does he want him to come quickly? Because he's ready to be with Peter and James and John and all the other apostles. and He's ready to be with his Lord and Savior who died and saved him on the cross. He's ready to be in, his eternal, in, the, in the restored eternal paradise that is coming to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Make sense? All right, so um, please, if you will, you can take this uh, cheat home with you. Um, we, we went through a lot of different verses, and I didn't have a chance to go through them all. But if you look on the back, if you look on the back of the worksheet, um, there is all of the highlighted um, verses that we use. Or actually, that's on the front. And then there's just some little notes to help divide that down for you. Okay, and one last correction, and then we'll be done. Um, last week, I made a, a horrible mistake. I went home and listened to the recording, and I said, when you open up, your, when you go to church, open up your hymnal and look in the back of the hymnal, and there will be. Remember, we were talking about the creed, and we said, I said, if you go and go to uh, IPC and open up the back of your hymnal, I, I made the mistake of saying that there will be a copy of the London Baptist Confession of Faith in the back of your, your hymnal. When in reality, it's actually the Westminster Confession of Westminster, Faith. Yeah. Will be in, I, so I. I, I I I didn't mean it that way. What I meant to I say. I didn't tell on you. Right. Well, <laughs> I, it's it's recorded for all the world to hear. Yeah, right. I'm correcting it publicly in front of all of you. <laughs> you will find the Westminster Confession of Faith at IPC. If you were to go to a Reformed Baptist church and open up a Baptist Trinity hymnal, you will find the London Baptist Confession of Faith. And that's what this is from. This is the last chapter in the London Baptist Confession of Faith. It's just a good summary and points us to the scriptures that we need to know to see about the last judgment. So, let's close with prayer. We're done. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time together. Thank you for the hope that we have and what your son Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross. My prayer is that each and every one of us in this room will soberly consider our relationship with you, that we will recognize that you are our Lord and Savior and uh, willingly uh, walk with you and trust in you alone. Lord, if there be a man or a woman here today who is terrified and is worried about the judgment coming and has never trusted you as Savior and knows that they're going to have to stand before you alone, my prayer is that you will reach into their heart and show them your grace and mercy and save them and let them know the hope that comes from only you. So we give you praise for all of these things, and we all say together, just like John said, even so, Lord, come quickly. Amen. Amen.